This podcast episode is a little different. Are you thinking about delivering a TED Talk? You may know that I delivered my third TED Talk uh, a few weeks ago in TEDxJCU at John Carroll University in Cleveland. And after delivering it, a few friends asked me for advice about how I found those events, how I got selected, and so on. And instead of repeating the same information over and over again with every friend, I decided to hold a live webinar, which I did on May 9th, but I also recorded it. I thought you might be interested in listening to it, so I'm including it here in this episode. It covers why did I want to have a TED Talk, how did I decide on a topic, how did I find them or they found me, how did I apply and get accepted, how did I prepare and deliver, what went wrong, and finally, what happened afterwards. So sit back, relax, enjoy the program, right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? My name is Yoram Solomon. Thank you for uh, joining. Uh, the whole idea of this is that I'm going to share with you my experiences in uh, delivering three TED Talks, uh, helping two other TED events, and hosting one event. Uh, a few warnings. The first warning is that uh, this is going to feel like drinking from the fire hose. I am doing my best to record. I have all the indications that I am recording this, so uh, I'll be posting uh, the, the recording later, uh, probably in my podcast. So just uh, keep an eye for that. Uh, the second warning is that I get distracted very easily, so keep me on track. Uh, your, it's your job as much as it is mine to keep me on track, and I'll be done in uh, 40, uh, 40 minutes, and uh, I'll leave some time uh, for questions and answers. Uh, the last thing that I want to say is that I, I'm going to give you only one piece of advice. I know you probably expected a lot more advice from me. I'm only going to give you one piece of advice, and that is do not listen to any advice that I'm going to give you. Okay, uh, simply because uh, I'm just sharing my experiences. What works for me or worked for me may not work for you, just like what worked for you may not work for me. Uh, and as my younger daughter uh, is typically saying to me is, she says, Daddy, you do you. So you do you. Uh, with that, uh, the agenda, the things that I'm going to take you through uh, today, I'm going to talk about why I wanted to give a TED Talk, or three of them. Uh, how did I decide on a topic? How did I find the organizers, the specific event, or how did they find me? How did I apply, and how did I get accepted? How did I prepare for each of the TED Talks, uh, how did I deliver them? What went wrong? I'm going to talk about something that that went wrong. Uh, that you know, just uh, beware. Uh, and then I'll talk about what happens afterwards. And at the end, as I said, I'm going to leave it for Q and A. 
why did I want to give a TED Talk? So the first reason is because it adds credibility. This, this is a qualitative reason. I, I know I heard that uh, it's going to add credibility for me as a public, as a professional speaker. But the second reason was a lot more quantitative, and that was Jonathan's research. And to explain what Jonathan's research was, is uh, Jonathan was a student of mine at SMU, and Jonathan missed submitting an assignment on time. And I am very strict in you don't submit on time, you get a zero. So Jonathan submitted a zero. We can argue whether uh, the excuse was uh, relevant or not, but Jonathan came to me and said, uh, what else can I do? And I said, you know what, Jonathan, I have an idea. How about if I give you an assignment that's going to be such a big assignment that nobody would want to get that assignment and nobody's going to feel that there was a second option? He said, fine. And I thought about an assignment and I had an idea. This is going to be a statistical assignment. Jonathan, here is what I want you to do. I want you to go to eSpeaker's website, the database. I want you to pick up at least 50 speakers in the North Texas area. So, you know, they're, they're com relatively comparable. Uh, I don't know who he picked. I don't even know if he picked me or not. And uh, But uh, he picked 77, more than the 50 I asked him to, in North Texas, randomly. Very broad fee distribution that was listed on eSpeakers. And the question that I posed to him, without any explanations of what I expect him to do, is, Jonathan, what are the factors that affect their fees. So Jonathan did a research and he came up with this formula. Every component of this formula is statistically significant or strongly statistically significant. I want you to pay attention to the one in red. And the one in red is that almost $9,500 in what speakers asked as fees on eSpeakers database was based on whether they had a TED Talk. Now, he didn't separate whether they had one, two, three, five TED Talks, but he did separate that uh, having a TED Talk had a $9,500 uh, impact on the fees that they charge. And, and he showed statistical significance with that. So that was pretty powerful. How did I decide on the topic? The first thing is I looked at what topics did I have. And I'll talk about the three topics that, uh, that I did do in those TED Talks. Uh, it's my topics. It's how do I intend to use it? Because there, there is one thing to be said about you give a TED Talk because you managed to get a TED Talk, but the topic is not really related to what you do as a profession. So the question is, how much can you really use it? So my first TED Talk was a little off. It was a little different. My, my talk, for those of you who know me, my topic is trust. Um, my, my podcast is The Trust Show. My main book out of 19 is uh, The Book of Trust. I have a series of books called Can I Trust You? You see where I'm going with that. So that was my topic. The first uh, talk uh, that I gave was The Day That Forever Changed America's Culture. Sounds like it was unrelated. It was related to my eighth book, but not really related to the core of what I did, which is why I went on to do other topics, uh, other TED Talks. And my both my second and the third TED Talks that I delivered were uh, more related to, they actually had the word trust in their topic. Uh, it is an area of expertise. So you do. Want, I wanted to bring the area of expertise. Now, in terms of a topic, I looked at their theme. Every event has a theme. And the themes are somewhat pretty, you know, vague. Like one event had a theme that was if. 
What does that mean? So it kind of allows you to bring a lot of topics, but you want to make somehow make sure that it's related to the theme. So the theme of my third TED Talk that I gave, I think, two or three weeks ago, uh, the theme was um, the power of good. And so I actually ended my TED Talk with, will we use it? for the power of good. And I was using about, I was talking about chat GPT and artificial intelligence, but obviously I weaved trust into it very heavily. So it was a trust related, trust artificial intelligence. Um, and I closed it with their words, with their themes. So it kind of makes it uh, uh, more suitable for them. How long, that's an important question to ask uh, when you apply. Uh, how long are the TED Talks? Uh, and you know what? If they tell you that, uh, oh, we're only going to do three-minute TED Talks, that's up to you to decide if you were going to do that. The first one uh, said they wanted to do within 15 minutes, so we did 15 minutes. The second one said no restriction. I had to remind them that TED as an organization has an 18-minute restriction. Uh, the third one said 10 minutes, uh, so I had to, you know, I could do that in 10 minutes did that. It was something that was relevant to their audience. So that's the other thing you want that, that I kept in mind is that while we do the TED Talk for the video, there is an audience there and, and the audience is going to clap and the audience is going to interact. And um, you want to make sure that, uh, or I wanted to make sure that they did, uh, th they could relate to my content. Now, at the higher level, from a TED perspective, remember the tagline for TED is ideas worth sharing. So um, I need to come up with something that people would want to share, would want to talk about. It has to be very simple. I may One of the things that, that uh, allow you to get a TED Talk is it's interesting, it's unusual, it's controversial, it's counterintuitive. Uh, it's kind of not what you would expect. Uh, it, so, for example, the first TED Talk, when, when I uh, talked to them, we started talking about topics. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you later when, when I'll talk about the process. Uh, but when I came up with uh, how about the day that forever changed America's culture, uh, which they changed to American culture, uh, they're like, yes, we want that one. Uh, the next thing is... Uh, I, I always found that involving a personal story makes it uh, smoother, make, makes it more acceptable. Uh, and finally, and that's an interesting point that I never thought about until this last one, was that the topic is evergreen. So you may be talking about something, and especially since my topic for the last one was related to ChatGPT, uh, this could be, you know, two years from now, three years from now, would there still be ChatGPT? Uh, will there be something that, you know, will people even listen or, or watch that video anymore? So how do you make it evergreen if you're talking about something that's happening right now? And the way I did that was I said, you know, what, what I'm going to say about ChatGPT, I actually had a slide in the presentation that said, and, and I said myself, Whatever I'm going to say about ChatGPT, by the time you watch this video, probably has already changed. But the same thing that we're doing with ChatGPT right now, we're doing with every new technology and for exactly the same reasons. So I made that comment and then throughout the presentation, throughout the talk, I made sure that, that they all understand that uh, we're, what I'm saying is evergreen. It's going to apply for, for other um, uh, for for later in time.
So that's something that, that I kept in mind. Now, how do you find where you can do a TED Talk? So you can go to the TED.com website and over there, there is a general form where you can uh, just, you know, apply your uh, your content, uh, put your, your content, your contact information and so on. I've never heard anybody follow back, follow up on that. I, I You know, theoretically, everybody who's organizing a TED Talk should go there and uh, there should be a database and they can look at everybody who applied. I never got anybody ever reached out to me and said, oh, you submitted your contact information in TED.com and this is how we reached you. The other thing is you go to the TED's website and you can just uh, look at their uh, attend, click on attend, and it's going to give you all of the TED Talks throughout the world. And I'm sure that the first thing that you had just noticed in this uh, map is that there are no TED Talks in Antarctica. In fact, it seems like there is no Antarctica. Uh, also, no TED Talks in Iceland or Greenland. So just keep that in mind. Uh, and, you know, the funny thing is it doesn't show any TED Talks in Alaska, but there are. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure if it's the granularity or anything. But anyway, you, you can see that there are a lot of TED Talks and you may want to refine it. And, you know, you can actually put either a name, a location, year, uh, month even, or, or any special event. And so if I did 2023 in Texas, now you're getting a much smaller set of events. And if you don't want to travel, then that's going to be important. Or if you want to travel to a something, to a place very, very specific, that would be important. So, uh, you know, I, I hit on uh, TEDx Jacksonville in Florida. Uh, this is from TED.com. You can see on the top left corner that it shows that I'm still on the TED.com website. And it's important to make that distinction that there is a limited amount of information in the TED.com uh, page for a specific event. Very limited. Uh, but, you know, I found the two uh, organizers, the organizer, David Johnson and uh, uh, Jen, Jen Marie Jean Marie Grimsley, she's the co-organizer. So I thought, uh, great, uh, you know, what, what you would do is you would want to reach out to them. So first of all, what, what I did was it's not enough to go through the TED.com because, as I said, there's very limited information there. So I actually Googled TEDx Jacksonville, and guess what? They have their own website and there's a lot more information there. The next thing I said is, I'm still back to the TED website. Uh, I know the organizer. I know the name of the organizer, David Johnson. How about if I try and reach out to him directly? And I'll tell you something. These things, at least for me, they worked. Reaching out directly to the specific organizer. The only problem is that his name is David Johnson. And as it turns out, David is the fifth most common man or woman name, first name, and Johnson is the second most. And with 913 million LinkedIn subscribers, that would mean about 54,000 uh, people with the name of David Johnson. Well, as it turns out, there are only 21,000 David Johnsons on LinkedIn. But all you have to do is just throw in Jacksonville, and guess who comes out second place? He used the same uh, the same headshot uh, picture. So that's the same David Johnson. I went to him on LinkedIn and uh, that's how I, I can reach out to him, connect with him. And uh, that's his LinkedIn profile. And, uh, and now it's a lot easier to get into that TED Talk because you're starting to create a relationship outside. 
There is one more person that I need to mention, uh, and his name is uh, Caesar Cerventis. Uh, I don't know him personally, but I get his emails. I get his newsletter. This is actually from, I think, his previous newsletter. Once a month, the man just sends you three open TED Talks uh, that are open for applications. Now, I can imagine that there are quite a few people on his mailing list, but this is really, really helpful. So uh, his, his website is here. Here, I'll make it just a little bigger so that you can see Cervantes.tv. Uh, uh, I would add myself to his newsletter. I know that I've added myself. I actually asked him at some point, uh, I reached out to him and asked him um, if he has a database. He sent me a spreadsheet with all of the uh, the talks that he found and he did research. So, uh, you know, I, I know that he has services. I think he has coaching and things like that. I don't know how many TED Talks he did himself. But, you know, as a resource, this is really someone. And, you know, again, I, I don't know him personally. We don't have a relationship. But uh, that's uh, that's one website that uh, every month when I get his newsletter, um, I just look at the uh, three uh, open uh, uh, TED events that he's sending. I maintain my old Google Sheets uh, spreadsheet with all the events that I applied to. And this is something that I need to say. Uh, I got three TED Talks. I applied probably to 50 or more. Uh, and it does take uh, it does take time and a lot of them are going to reject. Uh, and the reason is just you didn't click with what they were trying to do or they looked at you and they said, no, we don't want this person. Uh, maybe there are other restrictions. I'll talk about that. So uh, at that point, what I did was I had two TED Talks. This is, this is the, the spreadsheet. I started with my second TED Talk. I had two ideas for talks. One of them was the relativity of trust. The other was the reciprocity of trust. Again, linked to my topic. And uh, what I did was I just, um, uh, for each one of the events, I submitted twice. I submitted the, the, different, uh, the different events. And so... Um, that was my spreadsheet. You can see there are a lot of rejections and you can see that one of them was accepted and, you know, the others have applied and I never heard from them a yes or a no. So it, it does take time. Now, how did I find them or how did they find me? So uh, there is something to be said for a first time TED event. Uh, if you go and look to their website, uh, to answer, by the way, Abney uh, just asked a question, uh, did I submit twice? I submitted two separate submissions. Every submission is for only one topic, can be for one topic. So I submitted twice. Uh, so when, when you're looking for them, one thing to look for is, is this their first event? Uh, there's a plus and a minus there. If it's their first event, then it's easier to get in because uh, it, not too many people heard about them. The problem is that they might have some issues. They don't know how to do it for the first time. So actually, all three events that I uh, that I spoke at were first-time events, but the last one was a first-time event for a person to whom that was the fifth time that he's organizing. It was just the first time he was organizing this specific event. Uh, what budget do they have? Uh, that's, you know, not sure how much they're going to share, but you're going to get the sense 
because that would reflect on the quality of the video, the quality of the event itself. And I have to tell you that the event that I was a host of, uh, we were on a budget, definitely on a budget. It was hard uh, get a lot of volunteers and uh, you know the camera people to really, really discount the AV people to really, really discount uh, their their prices. Um, the last event, I have to say, the uh, TEDx JCU, uh, Don Winkle, he is the organizer there. Um, it's a university. He is a professor and the head of the entrepreneurship department. And he his approach was just, here is the event that I want to do. This is the quality. How much is it going to cost? This is how much it's going to cost. Let's find out the money to do that because that was a world-class event. Uh, do Does it require travel? So the first two events I did did not. The last one did uh, require travel to Cleveland. It's up to you. Is it important enough for you to travel? They're not going to cover your travel. They did cover in the last one my hotel room. Uh, they blocked the hotel block and, and they covered my room as well. They didn't have too many people who were traveling, but uh, for those who did, they covered a hotel. And... Um, but the other thing is, if they're going to do rehearsals and they want you to be there in person and you have to travel for each one of them, that's something to consider you want to know. The application process itself. Uh, there are sometimes restrictions. I'll talk a little bit uh, in the next slide about the restrictions. And, and you have to ask yourself, do I meet them? Otherwise, what's the point in, in me submitting something? And then they're going to say, well, you know, but you didn't meet the uh, requirements. So you're not going to do it. Why you? One thing that, that I had to explain is why am I the person to talk about that? So what's my background? What makes me an expert? What makes me more uh, linked to this topic? Why me? Um, is it an idea worth sharing? And it has to be one idea. I, I know that, especially for those of us who are public speakers, uh, we want to, we have like five ideas. Well, it's it's not. You, you have to really deliver one. Uh, it has to be something that uh, leaves the audience going home getting, hmm, I never thought about it this way. How long are the talks? I talk, talked about that. That's something that you want to ask. Uh, so the last one was limited to 10 minutes and I was kind of hesitant, but then I thought, yeah, I can do it in 10 minutes and I'll talk more about that uh, in, in a minute. Uh, how many applications? Uh, so now I want to talk about it from a or an organizer's perspective because I was an organizer as well. Uh, Keep in mind that they may be getting a lot of applications. The question is, how far out did they go? Uh, you know, you may be in a place where they're struggling to find applicants. Great for you. Not so much for them, for the organizers. Uh, but you may be in a place where, uh, you know, for every single slot they have, there are like 200 applicants. And there are places like that. So uh, that that's something that as an organizer I, I had to worry about uh, and, and be able to very quickly snap judge uh, anything that came in. One thing they look at is, are you a first-time uh, TED speaker? So now I'm, I'm like royalty. I, I have three TED Talks behind me. Um, but it helps because they know that you understand how this works. And, you know, if TED allowed your videos to go up there, then uh, obviously you know what you're doing. 
typically there is a committee and so the applications get spread to a committee and uh, they do it differently in different places and that's something to keep in mind different places do it differently so there is no one way to do it ted doesn't tell you how to do it they give you restrictions but they don't tell you how to do it uh, there is an application deadline and often when when you miss that deadline they, they're not even going to look at it Here's here's a little thing to know, and I know that from the perspective of a host and organizer, I know that from helping to other events, uh, especially if there are a lot of applications, they may decide pretty early that, oh, we want this one, and we're going to get this one down the funnel of starting to get them on board before the application deadline. So... I wouldn't wait for the last minute, and, and I didn't. I, I didn't wait for the last minute because I knew that, uh, that that's how they think, especially when they get a lot of applications. Uh, strict adherence to rules. Some of them are more flexible. You know what? You didn't meet our rules exactly, but we like your topic or we like your passion, your energy, or what have you. Uh, but others would say, no, absolutely not. Uh, we told you to send a 90-second video. You're going to think that I'm laughing and uh, that I'm joking. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Uh, they're going to ask for a 90-second video. That happened to me. I sent a 93-second video thinking, oh, come on, you know, 90, 93. They rejected, and the reason they said was uh, we said up to 90 seconds. You sent 93. That was the reason. So, again, it varies with, uh, with different people. They may require you to do an audition, probably through Zoom, maybe in person, especially if you're local. They may require... To, for you to have some coaching or training. Uh, in one event, they wanted one speaker to train another, to coach another. In another event, uh, some of the hosts were coaching people. And in another event, uh, the last event, actually nothing. It's like, you know what you're doing. We know what we're doing. Everybody's good. Uh, there might be a rehearsal. There might be a dress rehearsal. And I'll get back to that in, in a few minutes. Uh, that's important not only to them, but also for you, especially the dress rehearsal, the rehearsal that happens either the day off or the day before. Typically, it's the day off because they don't want to leave the setup there uh, overnight. Uh, how did I apply? Uh, you know, some of them will have different application formats. Uh, so th there, there is no one format for all of them. So some will require you to put a video. I already said that. If they ask for 90 seconds, give them 90 seconds, not 95. Uh, some of them would say, we only take local uh, speakers. And it doesn't matter that you're going to say, uh, but hey, I'm willing to drive, I'm, I'm, to travel. I'm, I'm willing to travel or fly or whatever. They might just want you to be local or just limit the event and say, we are, our speakers are all local. It's their requirement. You need to know if it is, then then you're not getting it. Uh, they may ask for certain demographics, believe it or not, certain age, certain gender, certain race. Uh, and I've seen that where they said, you know, you're the wrong age or you're the wrong race or you're the wrong gender uh, to be in our event. So whatever they need, I mean, this is their event. They, they have the right to do that. Um, the format of the application can be different. It can be a Google form. Typically, that's what they do. But uh, I, there were events where it was email. Here is what I want you to send over email. Make sure that you meet their requirements. This is, you know, it's not easy to be an organizer. It's a volunteer job. Um, and so, you know, they, they don't have to take anything. 
Uh, again, I go back to, do you know anyone there? So I actually reached out to uh, uh, all but the uh, the first one, the first event that I reached out, that, that I did, they actually reached out to me. So they called me and because another, the, the place where I did, where I, where I hosted my first event, the TEDx Plano, um, they told the organizers of TEDx Oakland who were going to do their first event, they were saying, hey, um, uh, we have a speaker that you might be able to use. We can't use him. The reason they couldn't use me uh, had nothing to do with being a host uh, and organizer before. It was because I was an elected official in the city of Plano, and they did not want an elected official to be a TED speaker. Uh, now they don't have that uh, problem anymore. Uh, then there are TED rules, not just the event itself. The event has to comply with TED rules because uh, otherwise they can't use the brand and TED will not upload the videos, which is important. So, you know, if you go to the TED.com website, I'm going to try and make it a little bigger. If you go to the TED.com website, what you'll see is uh, that there is like TED uh, TEDx rules. Uh, and where I put the uh, red arrow uh, te uh, talk content, uh, this is uh, the PDF that comes down or the first page of the PDF that comes down. And uh, when uh, you read that, uh, those are their requirements and, and you need to comply with their requirements, with TED requirements. Uh, how did I prepare? Uh, so first of all, I, I wrote a script. Now, this is especially where what works for me may not work for you. What works for you may not work for me. I, I've done three of them. I know what works for me and this is what works for me. I actually wrote a script. Now, one thing that I know is that on average, we speak about 135 words per minute. So it's between 120 and 150. Right now, the way I talk to you is about 150. I can go up to 180 and I can go really slow. So uh, on average, do 135. How much time do you have? They gave me 10 minutes. I did the math. Uh, I actually ended up with a little more than the 1,262. And the reason was that I always thought that they wanted nine minutes. And then at the day of the event, they said, no, 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 up to 10 minutes. Actually, the day before the event, that night I added something. So I went actually a little over the one, uh, 1,262. But you know what? It was 10 minutes and two seconds. Uh, now, uh, is it enough? Is 10 minutes enough? Is, is 1,200, 1,300 words, is that enough to convey an idea? Whenever my students tell me or ask this question, uh, if, if uh, the, uh, the word limit that I give them on an assignment, if this is enough, um, I answer very simple with a very simple answer. The Gettysburg Address was 275 words. It took two minutes to deliver. Do you have something more important than that? To deliver, that puts things in perspective. Yeah, you you can definitely deliver content with uh, thirteen hundred words and in ten minutes. By the way, I tried to find a YouTube video of the Gettysburg Address. I couldn't. The only thing I could find was just a picture. Uh, so I don't know why nobody uh, uploaded the the Gettysburg Address to YouTube. Anyway, this is um, this is actually the uh, scan of the three pages. This is the, the fourth version of my, uh, my script. And you can see that what I did, again, this is what works for me. I, I don't know what's gonna work for you. What I did was I broke it into pieces and every piece I did several times while reading from the paper and I timed it. How long does it take for me to deliver it? Then I started practicing part by part 
uh, you know, I, I would take the first like three uh, elements and, and I would rehearse them and rehearse them and rehearse them. It's not to say it word for word, but it's to say the content, really to deliver the content uh, until I knew that I got it. So I got the first 55 seconds. They worked. Did that a few days. Then I took the next part, the 245, and I did that until I could memorize it well enough. Then I did the first part and the second part. And that, uh, it took time, and I'll talk more about how long it took for me to practice, but that, that was how I practiced. I, I took one segment at a time. I'm not going to be able to remember the entire 10 minutes uh, from the get-go, so I was just going part by part. Um, that's, how I, that's really how I prepared. Now, slides, when, when you think about the slides, think about the lighting, think about the background, make sure that, uh, so I'm sorry, not giving you advice, I'm telling you what I did. I, I looked at the background, I knew that there's gonna be a lot of light on me, and when there's a lot of light on you, uh, uh, white things in the background don't come on very, very clearly. So I did a lot of white letters over black background. Uh, when I use the slide, I, I never use the slide to just say what's in the slide. So very little content, a lot more visual, but sometimes powerful words. And you're going to see a few samples because I, I put in a few samples of it. Um, really, the, sometimes they reminded me what to say. You know, I practice, and I kid you not, more than 300 times before the last uh, TED Talk. Uh, first, I thought it was 200 until I did the math and realized I repeated it more than 3,000 times. The night before, I did it three times while I was asleep. I know it sounds stupid, but uh, I just caught myself, uh, you know, repeating the TED Talk while I'm asleep. Uh, the hardest thing was after the TED Talk, after I delivered it, to stop repeating it in my head. Uh, but yeah, I, I did use the slide to slides to remind me what to say. Um, make sure uh, you I needed to make sure, and, and that's under the TED rules that uh, you have rights to use the the pictures, and if any attribution is required, then you do that. Uh, these are my go-to sites to get free images where I don't have to pay anything. Pixabay, number one, Unsplash, Raw Pixel, and Pexels. Uh, some of them have uh, subscriptions as well or, or paid images. Then there are things like Getty Images and Vado and uh, Shutterstock where in some cases I just couldn't find the picture I needed. Can't just pick off a picture from the internet and use that one. Um, and I just um, uh, bought a picture, I bought a few pictures. So uh, with that, uh, oh, and if uh, you use any research, if you quote something, uh, they, they want to know the source. This is one of the TED rules. Uh, you can't just throw up uh, numbers and, uh, uh, and with no backup for them. You have to quote it. So, you know, here's one of the slides. Uh, this, this was the first line out of my last TED Talk. And it started with, um, uh, the, the whole idea for this TED Talk started when somebody asked me, if I could tell whether my students were cheating using ChatGPT. So you can see how this line here on the screen really helped me remember how I'm starting it. Then I talked about the top two school districts in the nation uh, have uh, Los Angeles and New York have banned ChatGPT. You notice that there was some animation, but I want you to notice at the bottom right corner that I actually attributed it to Pixabay. They didn't ask for attribution. I attributed it anyway, so there are no questions later. Same thing here. Uh, so should we ban ChatGPT from the classroom? Image, source, Pixabay. 
Here is a powerful one. Our students are going between kindergarten and 12th grade are going to spend 16380 It really is powerful when you have this number on a slide. Now, I wanted to explain, I wanted to explain Bloom's taxonomy. So here are the six layers of Bloom's taxonomy. Now, here's something to keep in mind. And this, this is an image that I created, an animation that I created, but something to keep in mind is that uh, you don't know what system you're going to run your slides on. And it's kind of dangerous to, re, uh, to rely on animations, fonts, and things like that. And so what I did was I said, you know what? Worst case, what do I do? I took the bottom layer. I turned it. This is actually a, an image. This is not a slide. This is a picture that I used as a slide. Nobody can screw that up. Here is the next slide. So, you know, you don't get the animation, but I didn't have to worry about what's going to happen on their uh, screen. Uh, here is another one that I used in the first TED Talk. Uh, notice that this is data, and I quoted the source, U.S. Chamber Institute uh, for Legal Reform. Here is another one, piece of data, source, World Bank. So now they have the sources. I don't have to worry about TED rejecting mine. Uh, here is a picture that all is owned by a friend of mine, uh, Kevin Sweeney. And so he gave me the picture. He allowed me to use it. He asked for very specific attribution, and I mentioned him during the TED Talk. So just keep that in mind. That video is going to be up there. The last thing you want is somebody to come back and say, well, uh, you used content that's not yours. How did I deliver? Uh, you know, I sent them the slides. Uh, what platform? So that was a surprise. I, I assumed it's going to be PowerPoint. I did it on PowerPoint, and then they asked uh, for it to be on Google Slides. Uh, okay, so I did it on Google Slides. Maybe they're going to want Apple. I would say don't let them convert it. Uh, I, I said, fine, I'll convert it. Because they said, fine, send it with PowerPoint, we'll convert it. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I want to I know what it's going to look like on Google Slides. Uh, Embed fonts, that's that's a big one, especially if you're doing, uh, well, actually, it works on, on either one. But on PowerPoint, if you go on PowerPoint, let me take the entire screen so you'll see it better. If you go on PowerPoint uh, to Settings, Advanced, Save, you will see that little thing that I circled in the bottom. Uh, this is typically unchecked, and you have to check it to embed the fonts. Then the default is embed only the characters used in the presentation. That's best to reduce file size. I did not want to do that, just in case I needed to change something at the last minute. Uh, the next thing is uh, images instead of text. So what you can do with PowerPoint, and, and I've done that, is you actually go to Save As, and you save the presentation as either a JPEG or a PNG. And when you do that, again, you don't depend on their computer's ability to cope with your uh, your fonts, the specific fonts, your specific animation. Animation obviously is very simple. It becomes just the next slide. You have to break animation into what happens in different slides. But uh, there was no way uh, to to screw that up. Uh, this was going to work was going to work on on any platform. What's to wear? Uh, if you notice the image at the beginning, I wear blue jeans. Uh, I had different shoes. I had different glasses. 
Uh, I wear the same black jacket. Uh, for those of you who only see me with that black jacket, I need to tell you, this is my brand. I have three of those and I have a total of 12 jackets. It's just that I'm trying to keep my brand to be uh, continuous. And I always wear a black shirt underneath, even though those are different uh, black shirts. Again, that's what works for me. You do you, as Shira says. Uh, you do need to entertain, or I felt that I needed to entertain. And entertaining is not necessarily funny. It's uh, you, you got to invoke some emotions and and people because you want people to talk about that TED talk. Uh, you know, I remember once I, I uh, testified in front of the Texas Senate on uh, property tax reform and relief, and you know it was testimony after testimony, very boring, very data-oriented numbers and, and very us versus you. I started my talk, I talked about, I, I started my testimony. It's a three-minute testimony uh, by saying that uh, when I ran for the school district the first time, which was not as successful as the second time, the entire committee started laughing. I had them there. The next three minutes are, you know, the, their minds are open. So it always helps uh, to bring in something, something emotional. Uh, interacted with the audience in uh, almost every one of my TED Talks. I interacted with the audience, uh, did something, asked them for something, while keeping in mind that this is on video. That's the other thing. You interact with the video. Uh, I always kept in mind, where are the cameras? When do I want to talk to the camera and say something to people who are watching it as a video? So, you know, as a speaker, you're always thinking about the audience sitting right in front of you, but you have to think about the fact that behind that camera is a user that is a viewer that's going to watch that video three years from now, and you're talking to them as well. So I had to keep, keep that in mind. Uh, you know what? Uh, I wanted to see what my slides look like on their machine. Uh, I spent the day before the event, the last event in Cleveland, and I did my best and I finally got to see what the slides look like. So I, I'm not going to have any surprises. By the way, one reason to save the font and embed all of the characters is if I needed to do something and any change on their computer, it's not going to say, well, we don't have all the letters. Uh, for that font. Uh, and finally, rehearsal and dress rehearsal is important not only for them, but for me as well. This last event I was at, they did not do a dress rehearsal. And I just uh, asked, uh, can I at least go on stage and get a sense to what this uh, feels like? Uh, how did I prepare? I practiced, I already told you, while I was finaling the, the script. I did it three to five times a day. Uh, started at T minus 60, uh, 60 days. I ended up doing more than 300 uh, times. Uh, what went wrong? Uh, something happened in the first TED Talk, uh, and that is, um, you know, right now talking to you in this video, I have a microphone, a Yeti microphone here, but you may notice a little microphone on me. Well, uh, I have a little recorder. And uh, here's the thing. The audience, the viewers, will tolerate a bad video. What they're not going to tolerate is a bad audio. And when I heard that the first time they were having some issues, the first thing I did was, because I have this recorder with me all the time, the first thing that I did, I took that recorder, I put the second microphone on me, and I hit record. I went on stage. Sure enough, three weeks later, videos are not up yet, and uh, speakers started asking what's going on with the video, 
And they said, well, we had audio issue. The only microphone was a shotgun microphone, uh, audience center. And that was terrible. That was terrible. So I told them, hey, not me. I had a microphone on me and a recorder, and I had my own uh, soundtrack. I did that the next two TED Talks, didn't use it, but that was something that happened. So this is actually a picture from the uh, second TED Talk. Um, yep, that's the second one. That's my recorder. There are other recorders as well. Uh, frankly, uh, your iPhone has a very good recorder in it, digital recorder uh, that you can use. Uh, that's the recorder that I use in my pocket. Second microphone, you see that they gave me one lavalier microphone. The one in the bottom was actually the second one. It was mine. What happens afterwards, and that's pretty much the end of uh, my part of the talk before uh, I'll open to questions. Uh, the first thing is they're going to ask for a description and your bio. Look, I, What I did was I, I don't like to reinvent the wheel. I looked at other videos, successful videos. I looked at uh, how long was the introduction, how long was the bio, and I delivered something. I thought I delivered something like this, but you know what? I'm no Abe Lincoln. I can't uh, just shrink it to 275 words because that's uh, all I have. Uh, so it was a little longer. Uh, but guess what? The topic of my last TED Talk was three reasons to trust your students with ChatGPT. Well, if we're going to talk about ChatGPT, why not use ChatGPT? So I went to ChatGPT and I said, shorten this paragraph into an introduction to a TED Talk. And I wrote what I wrote, which I think is about 200. Well, I guess it didn't get the shortened part. So this is what I get. And then I said, hey, great. Uh, can you shorten it to 80 words or so? And I got another one. And I looked at it and I said, you know what? That's pretty good, but I want something a little more intriguing. So I wrote, make it a little more intriguing. It wrote this. My friends, this is my intro. This is the description that I sent them. I actually suggested at the end that they put in parentheses, edited by ChatGPT. Why not? That's how I did it. Great intro. And that's uh, how I delivered that intro. Uh, the next thing that happens is they upload it. Uh, then, first of all, it sometimes gets rejected for, you know, whatever branding requirement that you didn't meet. Uh, then they negotiated it uh, back and forth. Then finally it gets approved. For you, by the way, the button that you're going to get to know or the button that I got to know very well is the refresh button on the TED.com or on YouTube uh, to until they, uh, they got uploaded. Uh, this is what it looks like on the TED.com website. This is what it looks like on YouTube. And uh, the next thing you want to do is you want to promote it. And I'm going to warn you with just one thing. Do not try and promote it with one of those services where, you know, somebody in Pakistan or Venezuela or something is going to just click on it uh, hundreds or thousands of times because uh, YouTube and TED may catch up on that. And uh, they're going to take out either the number or your video, and you don't want that to happen. So promote it by letting other people know about it. That, that also is the type of promotion that you really should care about. And this is it. Uh, this is how I got three TED Talks uh, to speak at three TED Talks. I helped two. I organized or was part of the organizing committee and the host of one. Uh, hopefully that was helpful if you're planning on uh, delivering a TED Talk. Uh, as you can imagine, this episode has almost nothing to do with trust, even though the TED Talks 
we're related to trust. The last one that I delivered in Cleveland was uh, three reasons to trust students with ChatGPT. And ChatGPT, as you know, is an important topic. Uh, next week, I'm going to go back to the regular programming that it is a lot more tied to trust. I'll see you then. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.